Welcome back to the Bedrock Podcast. Today we welcome Chris Locke from SL24 and Locke the Light, a foundation created in the memory of his son, Sean Locke. If you have any comments or would like to ask follow-up questions to Chris or the Bedrock team, check us out at doverspark.org. Enjoy the listen. Hey everybody, it's uh, Major Tim Hubler from the Commander's Action Group, and uh, we're lucky enough today to have Mr. Chris Locke from uh, Unlock the Light and his son Aiden with us to discuss um, some uh, resiliency topics. Uh, and with that, I'll kick it over to you, Mr. Locke, to introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Chris Locke. Um, live in Delaware, Newark, and uh, we're here today uh, to speak about uh, mental illness and suicide prevention. And we were very honored to speak to two squadron earlier today um, to speak about what SL24 Unlock the Light is all about. And we really have three pillars in our foundation. One is to educate um, people about mental illness and then also remove the stigmatization that uh, has happened with mental illness. And then another pillar we have is to open up a house in Newark, Delaware, so that uh, college and high school uh, students can come free of charge and get professional help as well as peer support when they're dealing with a, a moment of crisis. So. Awesome. And Aiden, I'll let you introduce yourself as well. Uh, yeah, I was just Sean's little brother. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. Um, something I, it's something I wish he would have brought up to me, but he never did. So now I am speaking the message on how important it is to speak up about this issue. Aiden's 17, yeah. going into his senior year of high school here in three days. Yeah. So thanks for coming down right before school starts. No problem. So can you guys just describe to us, Sean, who he was? Yep. Yeah. Um, Sean was an amazing kid. He was the son that every dad would hope for. Um, he was a, a tremendous athlete, um, both at the high school level and at the collegiate level. Uh, he played at the University of Delaware men's basketball team. He was part of the uh, conference championship team that played in March Madness, and he realized his boyhood dream of, of playing in March Madness. Um, he was captain his senior year, uh, three-time All-American, um, and just was a kid that had a very, very bright future, graduated uh, with honors, and uh, was off to a career in commercial real estate, and was doing great, had a great job up in Wilmington, and uh, we thought all was, was well. And then on um, July 18th of 2018, um, got a call from my daughter who said, um, my son is dead. Is is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, and at first I thought maybe I lost him to a car accident. Um, but when I was told that Sean took his own life as a father, I um, couldn't wrap my head around it. He and I were extremely close. We talked about everything. We spoke every single day. So this was not uh, a wayward son where I hadn't spoken to him. Uh, matter of fact, I had just spoken to him the night before. And to get that news uh, rocks you to a core as a father and as, as a person. Um, and um, our lives will never be the same. And when I was speaking to a couple of the airmen today, 
that was the message we were trying to get across is that suicide is never the solution. It doesn't solve any problems that you're going through. All it does is passes your pain onto other people who love you. And, uh, and Sean suffered with depression, anxiety. He suffered in silence. He never told us about it. And we found out uh, that in his note that he left to us. And that left us asking all sorts of questions. Um, I was ignorant to the disease of mental illness. There were signs that we just didn't pick up and that uh, we just were not educated. And that's one of the purpose of SL24 is to educate people. What do you do when you see a loved one not acting quite the, the way they should? And it's subtle things. Um, with Sean, it was not going into the pool in the summer of 2018, something that he loved to do. Not playing basketball as much as he used to. It was just little things, little withdrawals, coming over to the house to visit us but not really visiting us, going down to basement to watch a basketball game or a football game. It was a pullback in their socialization with the family. I thought I was just dealing with a kid who was just being 23. Um, and uh, obviously it was it was far more than that. And um, as I said, I look back now and there were signs and I just was ignorant to those signs. And that's why we're here to talk to, to your fellow airmen to say, look, here's what you do uh, when someone is suffering. Here's what you do if you're suffering from mental illness. Aiden, can you tell me what your relationship with Sean is? Looked up to him, obviously, as your big brother. Uh, yeah, he was always the role model to me. Uh, him and I both played basketball. He was my coach for a few years, so he was always smarter than me when it came to the game. So I would always ask him for tips and advice, and naturally that turned to tips and advice for life that he would give me. Uh, obviously, like my dad said, when he'd come over, uh, him and I, we would uh, just kind of hang out downstairs together. We'd talk just for hours upon hours. And so him and I had a close connection because of that. So that made us very tight brothers. And that, that's the thing about Sean is he was that person that always has an ear, that always listened to you, that was there to give you advice. Uh, and the whole time he was the one that needed the advice. You know, I always thought the person that had mental illness or depression was that kid that sat in the corner all by himself, dressed in black, and didn't speak to anybody. Well, Sean was the antithesis of that. He was the most outgoing kid, funniest kid, the first person to make the party lively, and, and he was the source of so much energy and so much love. So to lose him uh, in that way, um, to have him take his own life, um, was was shocking and um, you know that's what the airmen need to know is that suicide reverberates through the rest of your family for generation uh, the colonel spoke today how he lost his grandfather 65 years ago and it still affects uh, his family um, and, and you know I, I would tell people if you have those thoughts. They're just thoughts. You don't need to act upon it. I heard someone speak and they say, you know, we all have thoughts. You know, when we're driving and somebody cuts us off in the middle of the road, we think, oh, I'm going to get that guy, you know, or if we see a beautiful woman and say, oh, well, she's beautiful, you know. Well, we have thoughts, but we don't act upon it. And you may have the thought of suicide, but that doesn't mean you need to act upon it. That means you have to go get the help you need. And I think
the military is, is understanding the problem they have because it's the same problem we have in, in civil society. And, and we have got to get to a point where we can just talk about mental illness like we talk about cancer or heart disease. Um, I, another person told the story how um, if they had cancer, everybody would be coming over with potluck dinners and being there for them. But the minute people hear about mental illness, they tend to shy away and they tend to let that person deal with it silently. And that's where things get really tough when they have to deal with it alone and silently. And to your point, I mean, you showed slideshows at the presentations you gave, and, and Sean was homecoming king, surrounded by friends, smiles, you know, star athlete. So I think you know the profile, uh, you know, to profile somebody with with depression is, is impossible. It's meaningless, right? Um, it really is meaningless. It can be anybody, any walk of life. As I said in my presentation this morning. The disease is indiscriminate, and just like cancer and heart diseases. It doesn't care how popular you are, what you do for a living, how much money you make, uh, whether you're black, white, it doesn't matter. It's going to get you just like cancer and heart disease is going to get you. And, and, you know, mental illness is not a moral failing. It's not a character flaw. It is a disease. It's something dealing with your brain. And unfortunately, as a society, we have not done the research that we need to on the brain why does someone get themselves to such a point of darkness and despair that they feel the only alternative is ending their life? Um, that goes against everything we believe as human beings. Um, so we hit, need to do that. We need to find out why does somebody do it. I read something last night that sometimes it's only five minutes from the time the person decides to end their life to the point that they complete it. It's that nanosecond. And, you know, with Sean, he worked a normally perfect day that day. He was on a teleconference at 1.45, ended the teleconference, and everything was fine. But for some reason at 2.15, he went on the internet and said, how do I kill myself? And by 3.15, he was dead. It happened that fast. It's not like the movies where it's this long prayer. Now, they've thought about it a couple times, but the actual action of doing it is something that's pretty quick, a quick decision. It's a, it's a decision that is rushed and it's made in haste. So if we can somehow come up with programs where we can delay that thought process, you know, so for example, all the bridges should have nets so that if people jump over the bridge, the net will save them. I talked about the person who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he knew the nanosecond he released his hand that he had made a mistake. And that's what we need to do. We need to come up with programs where people can call immediately or if someone does type on their phone how do I kill myself that they get instant help that someone calls them say stop wait let's do it and we have the technology and we can definitely do it um, it's just having the resources and the, the wherewithal to do it so and the other point you brought up earlier today too is it's very treatable if if it's recognized and, and someone raises their hand and says yeah I need help yeah. we have the medical means to help someone and, and that was the thing that I, again, I didn't know until we started on this journey that 80 to 90% of depression, anxiety, PTS is treatable, very treatable psychiatric illness. But the person that's going through it at the time feels no hope. They feel total despair, total darkness. So they think there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And, and that's where we need as a community whether it's the Air Force or us in, on the civilian side, to just talk to people and just say, look, what you're going through. Um, and that just basic understanding 
can go a long way to get that person the help they need because a lot of times they can't get the help. They cannot verbalize to someone that they're in, in help. So you got to kind of be sensitive to it and say, hmm, you're not quite right these last couple of weeks. What's going on? And, and have that conversation openly and honestly. So, can, can both of you talk about the effect that this has had on your family as a whole? I'll let you go first. Andy. Well, I mean, it's like night and day between the difference now. Before, it was always let's just have a good time and we still want to have fun and stuff we also have to realize that there's a limit and we're also checking in on each other and making like just caring for each other more than we were before like before all of this we would have never had a family conversation about mental health checking in on each other seeing how we're all doing as a family but now that's it's a usual thing for us to do to sit down at family dinner and my dad asks how is everybody doing? Like, how's your day? But not just asking how was your day and being like, it was fine. Like asking what were good things that happened today, what were the bad things? Making sure that we're all okay. As a, as a parent, losing a child to suicide is devastating. Um, it, as I said earlier, it rocks you to the core of who you are. Um, I'm a father of seven kids, Sean was our third. Um, and I thought I had the parenting down pretty good. You know, I'd made my mistakes early on in my life and felt like, okay, I got this. Um, so as a parent, you sit and you constantly question, what could I have done differently? What did I miss? How did, could I miss it? So there's tremendous guilt. There's tremendous um, um, remorse of what could have been. Um, and, you know, it, it's... You've heard it, and I saw it in one of your Facebook pages, I think it was uh, Technical Sergeant Williamson, and said, you know, all suicide does is, is pass the pain to those that you leave behind. And it's not a cliche. It really is true. I had a phenomenal life, and everything was great, and no troubles whatsoever. And now in the last 13 months since his death, you know, we self-examine everything we do. I worry so much more now about all my other children. Um, you know, I was pretty much, you know, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and let's get ice cream uh, type of dad. And I'm not anymore. It's his pain is now my pain. And it's tough. It's extremely tough. There are times that I don't want to get out of bed. Um, but you have to because you've got other children and they're counting on you. You need to show by example that we, we need to uh, continue uh, with our lives, but knowing that... Um, we will always have this pain. We will always have this suffering. And all Sean had to do was just to say, I'm in pain. And I would have moved every mountain I could have to get him the help that he needed. But he didn't. And, um, and that's, as I said, that's the insidiousness of the disease. When you have cancer and heart disease, you can ask for help. When you have a mental illness issue, it's very hard to ask for help. And it was very hard for Sean. Um, you know, I was talking today about the similarities of an athlete and military personnel, and it is very hard for both those type of individuals to ask for help, to show signs of weakness. Uh, you guys are trained to push through the pain, and so are athletes. And I think Sean just thought, okay, I'm going to be able to push through this, but you can't. Uh, mental illness is too tough to just try to do it on your own. It's like saying, okay, I can deal with a broken leg. You can't. you got to go to a doctor you got to get it treated. It's the same thing with mental illness. You have to go to a doctor and get treated. And there's many different types of treatment. It can be therapy. It can be medication. It can be a combination of both. There's not one answer for any one person. 
but you have to get the help. You're not going to be able to beat it by yourself. So you, you also threw out some stats earlier today just on how uh, prevalent suicide is in our culture even and how it's increased over the last 10 years. Yeah. Are there societal reasons why that is, do you believe? Well, they're, they're beginning the research. Uh, as I said, you know, heart disease has been flat since 2000. The deaths of heart disease have been flat. Uh, cancer has actually decreased since 2000, but suicide has gone up 55% since 2000. You know, I, I have some theories. I think, with especially the younger group, that 15 to 25-year-old range, I think social media has a huge impact on it. I think it's taking away um, the ability to people to communicate with each other when they're having difficult times. But it also is a vehicle that if you have depression, and then you stop looking at everything your friends are doing and feeling like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm missing out on this and I'm not taking a trip like my buddy just took and all that. That just feeds on that depression, just feeds on the anxiety. And and it's not a healthy way to try to get the help. You know, Sean, I was able to look at his phone over the last two years of his life, and it was amazing how he never got a good night's sleep. That phone, if that phone binged at 3 a.m. in the morning, he got up and texted whoever was texting him or talked to whoever was talking to him. He never got a good night's sleep. And it sounds so simple, but sleep is, is so important if you have depression and anxiety. And, and it's tough because when you have depression and anxiety, it messes up with your sleep. You either sleep too much or too little. But having the phone next to you and having it bing and that blue light that bings up when, when you're getting a text or whatever, that is definitely hurting your sleep pattern, which will affect your mental health. So, so I think social media is, is one aspect. You know, it's kind of like back in the 70s and 80s, we started seeing a tremendous increase in obesity. Well, that's because we had a lot of fast food places. And eventually we connected, okay, yeah, if we eat a lot of fast food, you're going to increase the obesity. You're going to drink a lot of soda and diet soda. You're going to have obesity. And I think we'll eventually get to the point where we say, okay, this great technology, and it's a great technology. I have a phone in my in my pocket and I use it for work and all that and it's, and it's great but there needs to be a balance and just as you don't want to eat McDonald's every single day because you know it's going to make you fat you need to kind of monitor your use of, of the phone so that it does not perpetuate or make worse your mental health so I feel like a hypocrite but let me check my notes on my phone right <laughs> um, I mean just to further discussion on social media I mean whatever social media site you use, people aren't going to post the job they didn't get. They're going to post exactly. the job they did get. And, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, it's not necessarily reality of what it, you see it, out there. It's not. It's a highlight reel. I mean, I'm not going to post, and I don't post it anyway, but I would not post again to a fight with my wife today. I'm going to post about the great restaurant, the great trip we took, and all that. And, and that's it. And social media really gives you a false sense of where people's lives are. And now someone like me who's, who's older, okay, I can maybe get through it. But if you have a teenager whose brain is still developing or even a military person who's 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, their brains are still developing. And they see all their friends are doing and they're stuck on some base in North Dakota and it's freezing out. They're saying, my God, what did I do? And that despair just gets worse and worse. What about advice for someone who is experiencing some of these feelings of depression or well, my advice is um, speak up, and it sounds so simple and so cliche, but it really is. You need to speak up and say, look, I'm suffering with this illness. I need help. You cannot get help. 
Um, you know, and if someone says to you, I'm suicidal, the most important question you have to ask is, are you thinking about killing yourself? You have to be point blank. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Um, because then you'll get the answer. And then your reaction is very critical. And so many times people keep it a secret. They think they have a conversation. They think all is good. And the person that's suffering will fake you out. They'll say, thanks so much for talking to me. I feel much better. But usually that's not the case. So you've got to go to a chaplain, a counselor, a superior officer, whoever, a friend, and say, look, so-and-so is hurt. So-and-so revealed this to me. And then we have to, as a culture, not hold that person um, at fault and, and not you know, say, okay, well, you can't do this now. You just got to get them help just like if they had a, a broken leg. And, and that's really important. And, you know, when someone says they're suicidal, you can't judge them. And, and you have to call help. You know, Sean, we found through a text message, had told someone 16 months before his death he was suicidal. It was two buddies. Um, they had talked through the night about it. And, uh, and that was it. And those two young men, you know, who were 22 at the time, have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And I don't blame them. You know, if I was 22, I probably wouldn't know what to do either. But almost everybody at some point does voice to someone that they have these suicidal tendencies or thoughts. And that's when you need to get the help. Um, and unfortunately, uh, those people said, oh, you're Sean Locke. What do you have to be depressed about? Well, that's just going to make a depressed person, you know, just go back into the shell, especially if you're an athlete, military personnel, someone who whose whole identity is based on their strength and their whole identity is based on what they do. Um, so for Sean, he made that one little comment, had talked it out, and they never talked about it again because he confirmed to himself, oh, I shouldn't feel depressed. And he never got the help that he needed. And um, here we are now, 13 months later, um, with the loss of our, our son and brother Sean, and, and um, it's something that, Unfortunately, Aiden at 17 is going to have to deal with with the rest of his life. And me, I'm going to have to deal with it until my last day on this earth. And we'll always be searching for answers, and the answers are gone. So. It sounds like, you know, even from the Air Force, we have plenty of resources for folks that are going through these, these struggles. Um, but the challenge is identifying those folks that, that need help and then getting them to the right organization or agency to provide help. What about folks who um, have friends, um, family members, who they, I guess, describe some some signs of, of someone who may be going through some of these struggles? Right. Well, I think the first thing is if someone says, I'm suicidal. That's the most obvious sign. But it's other things. Um, it's the substance abuse, you know. And, and as I said, it's not just drugs. It can be alcohol. And it's an increased use of alcohol. And it can be just using it heavily on Friday and Saturday night where they're blacking out at the end of each night. That shows a reckless behavior that someone is not taking care of themselves personally. Reckless behavior, going out, getting into bar fights for no reason, you know, having sex with 9 million people. I mean, those are risky behaviors that you're saying, this is not his normal self. What, what is going on? And, and then, of course... The withdrawal, the whether it's withdrawal socially, or it's it's withdrawal from doing something you know that they love. So if you know someone loves to, you know, play 
backgammon or cornhole or basketball and all of a sudden they stop doing those activities, you got to say, hmm, what's, what's going on here? Um, and then, of course, it's also um, just seeing a, a lack of interest, a hopelessness, a despair. And you can see it. it it's funny now going through this journey we've set on, um, there are times that I can see someone and I can say, hmm, that person's going through something right now. Um, and the key then is to approach that person say, you all right? And usually that's all it takes. Are you okay? You don't look yourself. You're not acting like yourself. And you got to have the conversation. And then you got to be prepared for the answer. You know, if someone tells you they're depressed or anxious or suffering from PTS, then you've got to say, okay, I'm here. Let's try to get you the help. You can't make them feel better. It's impossible to make the person feel better. They've got to go to a professional and get the help. Uh, you know, and some of you listen, they say, why does he keep on saying PTS and not PTSD? And as I said this morning, we need to get away as a society from calling things a disorder. The disorder makes it sound like it's the person's fault, and it's not. So the, the D in PTSD is disorder. I refuse to say it. It's not the person's fault. It's the person's chemical reaction in his brain that is doing something to him. And, and he or she then needs to get the help no different than when blood cells attack somebody with cancer or when a heart attacks somebody with heart disease. You just got to get the medical help. It's not their fault. Well, depression uh, seems to be attacking our society, and I know efforts like this are um, imperative to helping curb that trend. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of the 436 Airlift Wing for taking your time come down and speak to our airmen and to do a podcast um, and just to be vulnerable um, with the situation that that you were faced with and um, I know that that's it was a powerful powerful presentation and I know Sean's legacy lives on through you guys and it just shows um, the type of people and family that you have to be able to um, take a situation like this and then turn it back into how you can help other people so well we're indebted to all of you for your service and and you know for those people listening, understand that your nation loves you, but more importantly, your mom and dad loves you. Your brothers and sisters love you. Your friends love you. And that if you're thinking about harming yourself in any way, don't. Because suicide is never the answer. It doesn't solve anything. It does transfer your pain into everybody else who loves you. Um, for every suicide, somewhere between 100 and 150 people are affected by that death. But more importantly, think about this if you have a younger sister, younger brother, siblings, parents. When someone dies by suicide, they then increase the probability of other family members dying by suicide. So you don't want that on your shoulder. You need to get the help so that you help everybody else in your family. So that you can be an example, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, when you have a son or a daughter or somebody else in your family that's going through mental illness, say, look, I know what you're going through. I got you back. I can help you through this because I got the help I needed. And that's what this is all about. Sean was all about helping people. Man, I never thought I'd be sitting here 13 months at the Air Force Base talking to you about the death of my son. But, you know, his death touched so many people. And it was such a shock to so many people that we feel it's our duty now um, to help people understand what this is all about. So please, if you are suffering or you suffer in the future, 
get the help you need, speak out. You're not going to be able to beat it by yourself. And I think you're going to find the Air Force being much more welcoming to get you the assistance that you need. And I just wish everybody um, um, as much. Um, I just want to thank everybody for their service. I want to thank the Air Force for the time to come here today to speak to people that we have the utmost respect for. And uh, we're here to help in any way possible. So I thank you for your time. Yeah, can you share your uh, website or if someone wants to reach sure. out? Uh, the uh, website is Unlock the Light, and it's locked, L-O-C-K-E, the light, it's all one word, dot com. Um, if you type it in, it'll pop up, or SL24, uh, that'll pop up, and we have a website there, um, and you'll get whatever resources you need um, to get the help that you need. All right, well, that wraps it up for us today. Uh, thanks again to, to Chris Locke and Aiden for coming down and uh, um, being a part of this Resiliency Tactical Pause. And uh, like I said before, I really think you guys had a, a big effect. And I, Thank uh, you. We'll hopefully reach some more people through this podcast. That's so great. Thank you so much for your time.